Hello, this is episode 286, and in it, I'm going to share some detail about the specific updates that have been made to the latest iteration of our National Construction Code in Australia. Now, if you haven't listened to my introductory episode for this series that I'm doing on the National Construction Code, I'd encourage you to head back to our previous episode, number 285, and listen to that one first, because it'll give you really good context to this episode, and then also this upcoming series that's going to be really helpful for you. In this episode, episode, I'm going to share more on each of the updates or amendments based uh, on the various parts of the National Construction Code and the way that they impact it. And I admit, (laughs) this may be dry listening for some, okay, but it is going to be super helpful to learn more about the terminology and the kinds of things that the National Construction Code has taken into consideration for these latest updates. It'll also provide great context for the upcoming episodes where I'll be speaking to our amazing guests on the various different topics that these updates relate to. So I do encourage you to stay tuned. And remember, if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode and just read through it or have it to look back over and read later, there's also links and information on some of the resources I discussed. You can do all of that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 286. That's the numbers 286. Now, let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in Northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect, and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect, and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take and the best way to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. 
Now, as I mentioned in the last episode, this update to the National Construction Code 2022, it's one of the largest since the NCC was first implemented back in 2011. So prior to that time, we still had building codes, of course, but they were much more disparately organised. We've been navigating this collective NCC or National Construction Code since uh, 2011, and every three years it gets updated. And the NCC 2022, it's a big update. Now, as a reminder, some of what I'm going through in this episode, as with the last, is going to be taken verbatim from the Australian Building Code Boards or the ABCB's website. So I'll add a bunch of resources to this episode instead of telling you each time I'm quoting them directly versus paraphrasing them or summarising the information. If you're a homeowner that's listening to this episode, I really encourage you to not feel like you have to become a complete expert in all the intricacies of the National Construction Code. My goal with this episode and this whole series, in fact, and and of course, all of my content on Undercover Architect, actually, is really to empower and educate you with the concepts, terminology, demonstrations of best practices and insights into the questions to ask and the red flags to be aware of. I believe that this is the best way for you to be able to choose a great team, to create your design, to make all of the decisions you need to and to have a great construction experience and ultimately end up with a fantastic home that you love living in. But I don't want you over owning the responsibility or custodianship of this information. It really is your team's responsibility to navigate you through this information and the process of designing, building and achieving approvals according to it. I do know, however, that not all industry professionals are across this information. So by sharing it with you in detail, I actually believe it's going to better enable you to notice that earlier and not fall for what they're telling you so that you can actually get the right people around you instead. Now, if you're an industry professional listening to this, please don't rely on this episode or this series as your only education about the updates to the National Construction Code. There's so much education and training available out there, both free and paid. There's resources like the Australian Building Codes Board's website, the ABCB website. Both the HIA and the MBA have information. I personally think that the HIA stuff is better, but there's information on both of those websites and lots of training courses and things like that. The Australian Institute of Architects, they've also done training sessions and Design Matters is another organisation that's done a lot of training as well. And there's loads more that you can find depending on where you sit in the industry. And you you can also just sit down and simply read through the new National Construction Code 2022, the volumes, particularly volume two, if you're doing individual homes. And you can also look at the housing provisions reference document and the livable housing design standard. They're all free and all available online. There really is no excuse to not be upskilling yourself on this information either. I do know though, okay, that what's going to be adopted at each state level, it's still been a source of debate. So frustratingly, I feel we're going to have some last minute scuffling in the lead up to the 1st of October, 2023. That's the date set for this to be formally implemented. We're in a transition period that started on the 1st of May, 2023. Some states are still to advise exactly what their state-based variation or version will look like. They're all quickly falling into place at the moment as I record this. So I know that that does make it difficult for the industry and you're going to hear more about this in our upcoming episodes as I talk about this with my guests. Now a reminder too, this information about the National Construction Code, it largely relates to new builds uh, but it's always necessary for you to check what your project scope and your location might mean for your approvals no matter you know whatever you're doing okay. So don't assume that this doesn't apply without you doing the proper due diligence to check that that's the case. 
In the last episode, I took you through one of the significant updates regarding the actual structure of the code. So within the various volumes of the National Construction Code, there's been updates to specific parts and clauses, but there's largely been a rearranging and renaming a lot of the content in this new structure. And so the new layout introduced a new structure known as the new SPTC referencing system. So SPTC stands for Sections, Parts, Types and Clauses. Now, I want to dive into some of the specific changes. I'll explain a little bit more about SPTC and how you sort of navigate it further on in this episode. But I want to dive into some of the specific changes and updates to the NCC 2022 when it actually comes to what's contained within it. So whilst we're going through this, remember that a single residential dwelling is class one and it's covered in volume two of the NCC. Volume two of the NCC covers class one and class 10. And for most listeners of Undercover Architects podcast, I think that those are the classes that are going to most be relevant to you. So volume two is the, and its reference documents are the things you need to be aware of. So let's go. Okay. So The NCC 2022, it includes increased quantification of more performance requirements. So in summary for class one, this includes specifics related to things such as livable housing design, bushfire prone areas, fire safety, flow rates and pressure in water services, sanitary plumbing and drainage pressure, microbial growth, quantification of fire and structural safety. So remember, A performance requirement means that the minimum level that buildings or building elements and plumbing and drainage systems must actually meet. That's what a performance requirement is. And so a a building, a plumbing or a drainage solution will comply with the National Construction Code if it satisfies the performance requirements that are laid out in the National Construction Code for those specific um, things. So this update has seen increased quantification of more performance requirements. So that means that there's been descriptions and measurable benchmarks added to what some of the performance requirements actually require and mean in the various parts of the NCC. This is a good thing. Now, the ABCB website breaks down the updates into several categories. And so I'm going to actually take you through each of these categories one by one, and I'm going to share the updates in this National Construction Code 2022 with some information about why the updates have been made and some specifics about that. So as we go through these, I want you to try and remember the following terminology. All right. So compliance with the NCC, our National Construction Code, it's achieved by complying with the governing requirements of the NCC and the performance requirements. And the performance requirements are satisfied by one of the following. All right. So you can satisfy performance requirement with a performance solution, a deemed to satisfy solution or a combination of both of those things. The code also provides for the use of verification methods that are not necessarily listed in the NCC. Now, a verification method will be a test, an inspection, a calculation or another method that determines whether or not a performance solution complies with the relevant performance requirements. Any verification method used must be acceptable to the appropriate authority. That's all directly quoted out of the NCC. There's glossary of terms that explain all of those things. But um, just if you can hang on to some of that terminology, I know it's tricky. It's a lot, isn't it? So, but just remember the performance requirements are the mandatory part. Okay. And then you have performance solutions deemed to satisfy, which is also abbreviated to DTS and verification methods as the optional pathways to achieve compliance with those performance requirements. 
Now, these three optional pathways, they're not arbitrary, okay? It's not people just plucking things out of the air. It may sound like it's all a bit wishy-washy that you have so many different ways to achieve approval, but there's still specific things that you need to do and processes you need to go through. So Laura Tanova from Deem to Perform, who's going to be one of our guests uh, soon, she'll be telling us more about that in my upcoming conversation with her. I just wanted to introduce some of those concepts to you. She'll be diving into them in more detail. Now, let's go through these categories and you'll see as I take you through some of these categories that some of them you're going to need to be thinking about this at the design stage because it's going to potentially impact where rooms might be located in your home, how levels are going to work across your site and how specific spaces and rooms might be dimensioned and laid out. The first category is energy efficiency and condensation. So the ABCB is working on behalf of the Commonwealth Government and so updates to the NCC support the Australian Government's commitment to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 43% by 2030 and to achieve net zero emissions by 2050. And it's believed that the changes that are being made to the National Construction Code will impact approximately 1.8 million new uh, houses and apartments over the life of the regulation with 75% or 1.35 million of those being houses. So that's pretty significant in terms of its reach and its impact. The new residential energy efficiency provisions, they apply to houses and other low-rise multiple dwelling projects, which are class one buildings. They also apply to apartment buildings, which are class two sole occupancy units and class four parts of buildings. All right. If you're doing your own home, then class one is what's relevant to you. Now, there's two main elements to the energy efficiency changes. The first is that thermal performance of the new home, of new homes is raised from the current six stars to seven stars. So the star rating that we have is on a scale of one star to 10 stars with 10 stars not requiring any additional artificial heating or cooling. A seven star home in Nathurs currently uses 25% less energy than a six star home. So that's a big difference in energy efficiency and thermal comfort overall. The second uh, element is a new whole of home annual energy use budget now needs to be met by new homes. And this takes into account the home's artificial heating and cooling, hot water systems, lighting and swimming pool and spa pumps. Solar panels and other renewable energy systems can be counted as positives in the budget as well. And Jeremy's going to be talking with us in detail about how to understand more about that whole of home rating. There are two new performance requirements for thermal performance and energy usage, and that sets a limit measured by megajoules per square metre per annum, okay? You've got four options for demonstrating compliance with the performance requirements regarding thermal performance of seven stars and the annual energy use budget. And so these four options are, the first one is the NATHERS accredited software the energy efficiency assessor uses to model the energy use of your home. And there's four accredited NATHERS software. And at the time of recording, we're still waiting for the final version of this update in the software, I believe, to be able to show us how it's going to measure this seven stars. So this is considered a deemed to satisfy pathway. There's the second option that you can do. You can just do a straight deem to satisfy elemental provision, which I'll mention in a minute in detail. The third, the verification methods, which I'll also go through in a minute. And then fourth, the performance solutions, which involve using a specialist consultant. Now, the deem to satisfy provisions, they've been updated due to the increase of seven stars and the whole of home assessment. So the two compliance pathways that are available to you if you go the deem to satisfy are the NATHERS software, uh, which is what a lot of people are used to doing already, or the prescriptive elemental provisions which are laid out in Section 13 of the ABCB housing provisions. 
and I'll talk more about the housing provisions reference document later in the episode. Okay, in regards to the verification method pathway, the reference building that can be used as a verification method for energy efficiency assessments where your house will actually be benchmarked against a um, against a reference building and the energy efficiency assessor has to see whether it exceeds the performance of the reference building in order to achieve a tick if that it's uh, meeting the energy efficiency requirements. That reference building that it's being checked against, that's been improved from the previous version. There's also been limits for the heating and cooling loads in NATHERS, they've been updated and the standard for the efficiency of certain energy items has also been developed to assist with the whole of home rating. And as I mentioned, Jeremy's going to take us through that in a lot more detail. So in his episodes, that will become a lot clearer for you. The ABCB outlines the benefits of these changes. They believe that we're likely to see improvements in the products for roof, wall and floor insulation. We're likely to see more products and product descriptions that actually speak to the annual energy budget requirements for the whole of home energy ratings, such as energy efficient air conditioners and hot water units. We're going to see reduced heat loss and gain through the building envelope due to thermal bridging. Warmer climates will favour a lighter colour roof and external walls for better performance. We'll see ceiling fan requirements for warmer climates. Window requirements will be more appropriate for climate as well. We'll see a reduction in heating and cooling demands of homes and more on-site renewable energy systems such as solar. And ultimately, this is all about having more homes that suit their climate more closely and relying on passive means to heat and cool them rather than artificial means. Now, improvements have also been made in the area of condensation management. And so these build on the initial changes that were introduced in the National Construction Code 2019. And they're to improve condensation mitigation, attempting us to help uh, avoid what's happened in other countries such as Canada and New Zealand with leaky building syndrome. So these updates are the addition of a mould index to the existing verification method. So a mould index is a model that depicts the increasing amount of mould on the surface. And the mould risk is calculated from hourly temperature and relative humidity values. And the model then also takes into account mould decline when conditions are not favourable for mould growth. So it's too cold or too dry. Now the mould index only describes the general growth of mould on materials. It says nothing about the mould types. So it can't be used to evaluate how hazardous the mould would be. But I'll pop a link in the resources if you want to check out more about the mould index and what it measures. And the mould index of three is what's talked about in the NC so you can see where that sits in the mould index as well. There's also additional deemed to satisfy provisions for vapour permeance of external wall and roof space materials and enhanced ventilation requirements for certain rooms and roof spaces. And there's additional provisions for tightly sealed buildings in the existing verification method. So what this looks like in part is that the compliance is verified for building envelope sealing when a building uh, achieves uh, 10 air changes per hour at 50 pascals. And then where you get an air tightness of five air changes per hour or less, a mechanical ventilation system has to be provided that actually then provides specific flow rate of fresh air. And any spaces with solid fuel burning combustion appliances have to be ventilated with permanent openings directly to outside with specifics about the outlet requirements. And any gas fueled combustion appliances also bring about specific ventilation requirements as well. Now, as an aside, okay, so we're measuring specific requirements for air changes per hour, but the NCC is actually silent on as-built verifications of those air change per hour levels. 
So it, it it's difficult for you to know how this is going to be handled or checked in the actual construction process. And in the conversation I have with Jessica Allen from Climashore, we talk more about how you can actually navigate your build process to contractually compel uh, builders to ensure that design levels of air tightness are delivered on site. But equally, builders need to understand that this is actually explicitly said in the NCC and so having practices and processes that enable them to know this during their construction process is going to be super important. Now category number two is health and amenity and so the deemed to satisfy provisions for wet areas and external waterproofing they've been divided into two provisions to assist with legibility and clarity so they've been separated into the waterproofing for both of those things. Now the first one which is in H4D2 it sets out where protection is required for wet areas. So this is about how much of the wet areas needs to be water resistant based on the materials you're using and whether the space has a shower or not. So it includes laundries and powder rooms or water closets as well. And there's specific materials that are considered water resistant and it outlines how they um, actually need to be installed. Now you'll see in the clauses in NCC 2022 volume two that it refers to the ABCB housing provisions, which is a separate reference document for specifics on all of this and it also makes reference to the livable housing design standards and that they may override some of this so I'm going to mention more on this when we get to those updates. There's also explanatory information that states that the Australian Standard 3740 and the ABCB housing provisions contain requirements for shower hobs and shower over bath configurations. However, these may only be used in a bathroom that is not subject to the ABCB standard for livable housing design. Generally, the ABCB standard for livable housing design only applies to one bathroom per dwelling. Therefore, shower hobs and the like may only be used in any additional bathrooms. Okay, so big red flag on shower hobs generally, something you need to be chatting about with your team so that you can understand that and what it means for your project. There's also been some new defined terms introduced to support wet area waterproofing requirements in the ABCB housing provisions. I'll talk more about those later in the episode as we go through. I just want to take you through one example as a detail and it'll help explain that. Now, health and amenity updates also include the quantification of performance requirements for sound tra transmission and insulation and the 2021 edition of the uh, Australian Standard for Waterproofing of Domestic Wet Areas, which is AS3740, is now referenced. Okay, category number three is structural safety. The changes for structural safety for class one include masonry construction to align with typical masonry construction used in houses. There's also structural steel framing to align with typical steel construction in houses. Footings and slabs compliance with uh, two of the Australian standards that relate to residential footings and slabs and concrete structures, which is AS2870 and AS3600. And then sub -slab, some slab dimension that the housing provisions apply to are actually reduced and the scope that is reduced for, um, to soil classifications of A, S and M. So it's trying to simplify what this applies to um, so that, that you can work with that a bit more effectively. Now, category number four is plumbing and drainage. Now, plumbing is generally covered by volume three of the National Construction Code 2022. So it has its own dedicated volume. It's one volume. So you'll need to check the application of your class of construction because you'll go through it and you'll see that it's, it's dealing with all classes. So you're just looking out for class 1A, which is a single dwelling being a detached house 
or a group, uh, one of a group of attached dwellings being like a townhouse or a row house or something similar. Now, there's a three-year transition period to support Australia's path to reducing allowable lead, lead levels in many plumbing products. That commenced on the 1st of May 2023. And the NCC 2022 Volume 3 Plumbing Code of Australia now specifies that copper alloy plumbing products in contact with drinking water must limit the allowable lead content to a weighted average lead content of not more than 0.25%. So you'll find that manufacturers and suppliers of impacted products, uh, they need to contact their watermark conformity assessment body to arrange certification of these requirements and all relevant plumbing products being installed must meet the new requirements by the 1st of May 2020. There's also additions and amendments to the performance requirements related to metrics related to water efficiency, pressure, velocity and temperature limitations on various plumbing infrastructure. There's splitting of information on rainwater services and rainwater storage. There's new verification methods to help with more efficiency and piping size. There's also updates to help with national consistency in on-site wastewater management and disposal. And there's some de updates of definitions for greater clarity. Category number five is fire safety. So the fire safety updates for NCC 2022, they largely relate to classifications of building structures other than single dwellings. There are some updates for class one for fire detection and early warning to quantify the performance requirements specifically. Now, category number six is access and egress. And so to quote, it says there are no major technical changes to part H5 for safe movement and access in volume two. In the housing provisions though, the new subclauses are added to 11.3.4 to clarify the requirements for barriers that are fixed to the vertical face of an edge of a balcony, landing, deck, stair or the like. I believe that previously you, there was just a kind of a general 125 millimetre gap was allowed through balustrades. Um, they've now clarified that when a balcony, when a balustrade's fixed to the face of a balcony or an edge, you can only have a gap of I think 40 mil. So um, you'll need to check that yourself, but that's given some clarification on that. There's also new provisions for livable housing design in class 1A and class 2 dwellings. And so I'm going to take you through that in more detail now. All right. So we're going to look at the two most significant reference documents to be aware of when it comes to your class one and volume two of the NCC. One is the housing provisions reference document and the other is the livable housing design standard. Now, the housing provisions contains a lot of information that's either been extracted or removed from their previous NCC to not only update it, but to help with this general restructure that we've seen in the NCC 2022 and to better clarify and quantify information around the compliance pathways. Firstly, though, I'll, I'll get into the housing provisions in a minute, but I want to have a look at the reference document of the livable housing design standard, okay, because that's going to be this one's going to be really interesting for everybody to navigate. The ABCB standard provides a set of technical provisions that if complied with, enable dwellings to better meet the needs of the community, including older people and people with mobility limitations. Now, this is not an exact replication of the livable housing design guidelines, which I know I've referred as a resource for many times on Undercover Architect that has lived on its own website and been its own guideline with silver and gold levels and those kinds of things. It's not an exact replication of that. It also doesn't match AS1428.1 and that's in the Australian standard um, that's designed for access and mobility, general requirements for access for new building work. It's a particular Australian standard that's always been used for accessibility. 
It doesn't intend to match that standard either. So it may not accommodate all needs and it's really intended to be helpful in the majority of cases for occupants. Now, this document, like all reference documents, it's not intended to be read in isolation. It's got to be referred to when the relevant part of the National Construction Code directs you to it. So you start with volume two and you read through that. You actually start with volume one when you're, and you'll hear Laura talk more about that in detail, but then you dive into volume two for class one and then when it refers to the reference document, then you, re then you jump across to the reference document. So now they're saying that the ABCB is similar to the Livable Housing Guidelines Silver Standard, if you're familiar with that, the Silver Level Requirements. And the ABCB intends to publish a non-mandatory version that's actually based on the Gold Level Requirements, so you can apply it voluntarily to achieve a higher level if you wish, but that's still yet to come. Now, this standard, this Livable Housing Design Standard, it covers these areas. We've got dwelling access, so actually arriving at the dwelling from the street, the dwelling entrance, so entering the home itself, then internal doors and corridors to assist with movement through the home, the sanitary compartment, which relates to the toilet location and access, the shower and its access, and then reinforcement of bathroom and sanitary compartment walls to assist with accessibility in that zone as well. I think this is going to be one of the biggest adjustments for those designing new homes and adopting these new regulations. I'm going to take you through some of the pointers for each of these main areas. This won't be everything okay, but the main ones that I know will definitely require design consideration. And I'm going to be paraphrasing here so as to shorten some of the clauses. So make sure that you refer to them yourself so that you understand them correctly. Now, in regards to dwelling access, they're saying that you'll need a step-free access path. So the standard stipulates that a continuous path to a dwelling entrance door may be provided from A, the pedestrian entry from the curb, or B, from the garage or the carport, or C, from a car parking space that's on the property provided for the occupants of the dwelling. As well as being step-free, there are requirements for its width, its grade if it's ramped, its structural design, uh, and where it needs to actually access the dwelling. Now, the access path may incorporate one step ramp with a height of not more than 190 millimetres. If you're doing it from a parking space, then there's a minimum unobstructed width and length as well. Now, Let's look at the dwelling entrance. The clear opening width states that at least one entrance door must have a minimum clear opening width of 820 millimetres, which if it's a swing door can generally be achieved by using an 870 millimetre door leaf. It may be a door other than the front door, but the entrance door has to be connected with that step-free dwelling access path that you need to create. The threshold design of the entrance door also has stipulations as well to be step-free to ensure that it's accessible to the requirements of being part of that access pathway into the dwelling. You can have up to a five millimetre step or a small ramp threshold allowed. The landing area has got to be 1.2 metres by 1.2 metres on the external arrival side of the entrance door. It's got to be level, no more than a one in 40 grade, but that doesn't apply to the entry from the garage. And there's also weatherproofing requirements for the external step-free entrance as well with the surface on the floor or ground and the roof cover over it. Now, let's have a look at the internal doors and corridors. So the internal doorways need a minimum clear opening width of 820 millimetres as well. So that's an 870 millimetre door leaf. Where they are in the path of travel to a habitable room or laundry on the ground floor 
to a garage if it's part of the access path, to the sanitary compartment on the ground or entry level, and to a room containing a shower. There are caveats to all of this, so you need to review this with your team specifically for your project and make sure that you understand it. There's also requirements for the threshold of those internal doorways and clear widths of a metre for the internal corridors if they're connected to that relevant internal doorway. Let's have a look at the sanitary compartment. So what is a sanitary compartment? Well, to quote the ABCB standard, the term sanitary compartment refers to a room or space containing a toilet. It equally applies to any type of room or space containing a toilet, such as the bathroom, ensuite, powder room or other separate room. It is used in place of the word toilet for consistency with the wording of the NCC and to avoid confusion with the use of the word toilet to refer to a plumbing fixture rather than the room in which that fixture is located. At least one sanitary compartment means that in a dwelling with two or more sanitary compartments, only one needs to be located on the ground or entry level and comply with the requirements of this part. So this part requires that at least one sanitary compartment must be located on the ground or entry level of the dwelling, even if there's no other rooms there, okay? So for those of you on sloping sites, this is something to be aware of and discussing with your team. There are also set out and clearance requirements. So this sanitary compartment's gonna have a minimum area size and layout to comply. It's gonna have a minimum of 900 millimeter by 1200 millimeter clear space in front of the toilet. The vanity can't be placed within this space. Doors cannot open into it. A toilet must be on the entry level, even if there are no other rooms on that level. If your accessible toilet is within a bathroom, then it also has to have clearance requirements of 450 millimeters. Let's have a look at the shower. Now, at least one shower has to be designed and built with the requirements laid out in the ABCB standard. So these include a hobless and step-free entry, and that also then needs to meet the waterproofing requirements that are laid out in the NCC 2022. So a shower can have a lip of up to five millimetres. Now, in order to be considered accessible, you're gonna need to look at the detailing of your shower and your bathroom generally in the bathroom that you're choosing that you're gonna create this accessible shower. And you're gonna to have to make a call about whether the shower will be enclosed or open and the extent of the bathroom that you'll be waterproofing as a result. It may be better to waterproof the whole bathroom to then have to manage the detail at the shower entry to meet the requirements and make sure it's five millimeters or less as a lip. So again, discuss it with your team. Now, lastly, the reinforcement of bathroom and sanitary compartment walls. This part refers to the sanitary compartment that's on the ground or entry level of the dwelling and the bathroom that has the shower outlined in the shower part. It also applies to the bath that might be provided in the same bathroom as that accessible shower. So there are requirements about how the walls need to be reinforced so that there's the opportunity to install grab rails in the future. They don't need to be installed at the time of construction, but the room has to be able to provide for them. And a freestanding bath will be excluded from this because there's no walls nearby it. There's stipulations about how this reinforcement has to be created and where and what specific materials need to be used. There's also diagrams to indicate what's intended as well. Okay, that's a lot, isn't it? So take a breath, <laughs> try not to panic. It's it, You really need to talk about this with your team, understand your state variation and understand how it applies to your project and your site. If particularly if you're on a sloping site, you know, right from the outset, you need to be thinking about this in your design. Okay, reference document. 
and housing provisions. Let's have a look at the housing provisions. So the ABCB housing provisions contains the deemed to satisfy provisions that are considered to be acceptable forms of construction that are co- that comply with the performance requirements listed in parts H1 to H8 of the NCC volume two. So that's the volume that applies to class one. Now, if you can't comply with the option laid out in the housing provisions or elsewhere in the deemed to satisfy of NCC volume two, then you're gonna need to get help from a specialist consultant to satisfy the performance requirements have been met. This is known as a performance solution and you're gonna hear more about those in my conversation with Laura Tanova from Deemed to Perform. The way that the housing provisions work is this. In the NCC volume two, some of the deemed to to satisfy provisions have one pathway in that they'll have options to meet the functional statement established in that part or section. Sometimes the housing provisions will be referred to as one or more of those options or compliance pathways, and sometimes it will be the only way to achieve compliance. However, if it is not mentioned as a pathway, then you can't use it. Therefore, the housing provisions isn't a comprehensive or complete manual. It only refers to the content that is referred to it from the NCC Volume 2. So if the section you're reading in NCC Volume 2 does not refer to the housing provision reference document, then you can't use it for that part, okay, or that that section. You need to actually stick with what's inside the NCC. If it is referred to, then you can go and check it out. Now I'm going to take you through the layout of the housing provision so you can just understand the kind of content it covers uh, and where you may be referring to it. It's it's too chunky for me to go through in detail on the podcast, um, but you can download it and check it out for free. So first, it's divided up into different sort of areas. So there's the design considerations. They include earthworks, fire safety, facilities, room heights, light and ventilation, stairway and ramp construction, energy efficiency, site preparation and drainage, footings and slabs, masonry, framing, roof cladding, gutters and downpipes and wall cladding, glazing, barriers and handrails, and then there's a mention of the livable housing design. Now, next are the construction issues. They include wet areas and external waterproofing, sound insulation, condensation management, swimming pools, termite risk management, earth retaining structures, subfloor ventilation, smoke alarms and evacuation lighting, boilers, pressure vessels, heating appliances, fireplaces, chimneys and flues. And lastly, there's the special requirements. So these cover earthquake areas, flood hazard areas, construction in bushfire areas, construction in alpine areas, attachment of decks and balconies to external walls of building, high wind areas, class 10 building and structures, which is your garage or carport or other class 10 structure. So there's actually a lot in this document. As I said, it's tricky to summarize on the podcast because it's only relevant if you need to choose that option in the specific part of the NCC as your compliance pathway. So Okay, let's let's have a look at it in detail, all right? Because I think it'll help to sort of demonstrate it with an example. So we'll look at something like your wet areas, all right? So remember the new structure is SPTC. We've got section, part, type, and clause. And I'm going to step you through it, how you might need to read a particular part. I, I'm aware this is going to sound tricky if you just, you know, if you're in the car and you're listening to this, your brain's probably already boggling. But remember, you can grab a transcript of this episode at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 286 if you want to download it, read through it as well. Uh, and you can listen to re-listen, you know, this as much as you need to. It might even be helpful to have be listening to this whilst you kind of look through the National Construction Code online, um, particularly as we sort of step through this part, you can see. So we head to section eight in the National Construction Code and we go to part H4 in volume two. Okay, so you go to NCC, volume two, section H, and then part H4. 
This is all just in menus down the left-hand side of the web page um, or obviously you can do it in the PDF. And part H4 is called health and amenity. It says this part is intended to address several factors which impact on health and amenity. These factors include waterproofing of wet areas, room heights, kitchen, laundry and toilet facilities, lighting, ventilation, sound insulation and condensation. And there's a bunch of words you can click on for the glossary of terms there. Now, once you get past the section and part in this structure, you then look through the types, okay? And the types just refers to the clause type. So the clause types used in the NCC are as follows. We've got uh, G for governing requirements. Those, so those are mandatory. We've got O for the objective, that's guidance, okay? We've got F for functional statement. Again, that's guidance. We've got P for performance requirement. That's mandatory. You have to comply with it. Then we've got V for verification method, which is optional. And we've got D for deemed to satisfy provision, which is also optional. So this is basically how they do the code of each clause. So you've got H as the section, 4 as the part, O as the type, or one of those other letters I mentioned, and then you've got 1, which is the clause number. So for example, if we go to H401, so that's part H, uh, sorry, yeah, section H, part 4, O for objective, so guidance, and uh, number one outlines the objective for wet areas. So the objective for wet areas is to safeguard the occupants from illness or injury and protect the building from damage caused by the accumulation of internal moisture arising from the use of wet areas in a building. All right, so that's the guidance for this, this section of, and part of the NCC. As I said, there's clickable words in there that will take you through to the glossary of terms. On the website, they just come as a pop-up, so they're really great. Now, in this instance, a wet area is defined as an area within a building supplied with water from a water supply system. It includes bathrooms, showers, laundries and sanitary compartments and excludes kitchens, bar areas, kitchenettes or domestic food and beverage preparation areas. All right. Now, as you click through each of the types and you see the clauses that relate to the performance requirements and the deemed to satisfy provisions, you'll also then need to look for whether the ABCB housing provisions are being referenced in the various clauses. If they are, then you can head to that relevant section in the document and see what it outlines. It'll have links within things. When it mentions the housing provisions in the text, it actually has a link to the part of the housing provision it refers to. And then that will outline the compliance pathway for the specific item that you're making choices about. So in the instance of wet areas, the deemed to satisfy provision does refer you to the ABCB housing provisions. And then in the ABC housing provisions, there's quite detailed information about what's entailed in achieving the performance requirement, particularly in addressing waterproofing and the shower area. The housing provision actually has a lot of diagrams and drawings in it as well to illustrate requirements. That's super helpful as well. Now, when you're viewing the NCC online, all of these clauses refer to each other. They're all linked up. You can click between them and you can locate things pretty easily. As another example, when you look at something like room heights, which is also in this health and amenity section of the NCC, you'll see that the performance requirement is very succinct. So the, ma the mandatory part of room, room heights states, a room or space must be of a height that does not in unduly interfere with its intended function. Okay, that's the performance requirement. So you can see the performance requirement itself is not giving you exactly what you need to do. It's telling you how it needs to perform. Remember, this is a performance-based code, okay? Now, when you look through the different types of compliance pathways, you start to see more information outlined. So the verification methods, they'll go into more detail about what dimensions to consider, but they still don't state the actual dimensions, all right? 
The deemed to satisfy provisions though in H4D4, they point to the ABCB housing provisions, part 10.3, and then you go to part 10.3 of the housing provisions and that's where you actually get a list of rooms with specific height requirements in dimensions, all right? So if you're able to achieve these room heights, then you're going to achieve the deemed to satisfy provisions for room heights as part of your compliance pathway. So in it, it says things like heights of rooms and other spaces, and it's actually got a figure in there, must not be less than in a habitable room, including a kitchen, sorry, in a habitable room, excluding a kitchen, 2.4 metres. In a kitchen, you can go down to 2.1 metres. In a corridor, passageway and the like, 2.1 metres. In a bathroom, shower room, laundry, sanitary compartment, airlock, pantry, storeroom, garage, car parking area or the like, 2.1 metres and it goes on and on. All right. So it's really spelling it out for you as that deemed to satisfy um, provision. Now, what I found out and what I've discovered in researching this and familiarising myself with it is that once you actually step through things, you can start to see how it works. And if you remember that SPTC clause structure and you understand that the types, you, un you understand which types of guidance and which ones are mandatory or optional, then you can start to assess what your potential pathways might be for compliance. Now, can you chop and change which pathway you like to take? Do you have to take all deemed to satisfy or all performance solutions or all verification methods? No. Okay. So it's it's worth understanding that this isn't an all or nothing exercise. If you're using deemed to satisfy provisions in one area, that doesn't mean you have to use them in all areas. Uh, you might find that the deemed to satisfy is actually going to be super limiting for you. We'll talk more about that with Laura. She'll explain more about that, which will be really helpful. You'll find that probably your project is likely to be a combination of different pathways and different different compliance pathways based on what you're planning to do. And as I said, Laura's going to explain that to us in more detail. It's what her business specialises in. Okay, so I'm going to stop there and wrap up this episode because I've gone through a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of information I've thrown at you. Hopefully it's given you a broader understanding of the various amendments and updates. At the very least, it's given you a whole raft of new terminology to be aware of and, you know, what you can start keeping your eyes peeled for. And perhaps when your team start mentioning these things, it'll have some level of, you know, twigs and familiarity. I hope it's given you some insight into how to navigate it online as well, if you do want to check it out. And as a homeowner, whilst I'm not expecting you to be the one to navigate through this online to assess the compliance pathway for your project and what you have in mind. I do think that it might be helpful for you to jump into the NCC given that it is free and online and just step your way through it to sort of see a bit more about what it entails, you know, perhaps using this episode as your guide. As mentioned as well, the housing provisions does contain a lot of diagrams with dimensions and layouts. It's really helpful for illustrating specific requirements. Remember, the housing provisions isn't a standalone document. It can only be used where a clause is referring to it. So ensure that you're always reviewing it in coordination with the rest of the NCC. Now, lastly, please know, I totally, like change can be generally challenging to navigate full stop and changes like this where there's still a feeling of unknowns and transition, it's, it's naturally going to be tricky, all right? And one of the things that I'm, one of the things that I'm particularly interested to see with these updates, if, if what it ends up doing is actually having more people retrofitting their existing homes through renovating rather than knocking down and rebuilding, because depending on where you're located, that may mean that you don't necessarily have to adopt all of these requirements in the NCC. And I think us, you know, keeping and improving our existing building stock is actually a really great outcome in most cases, given how much energy, carbon and money has already been sunk into what we already have. 
The key here is you really need to sit with your team at the very beginning of your project before you start designing and strategize the best approach. That's one of the main differences that I see when homeowners join Home Method before they've begun their project. They actually spend a lot of time making sure that they're designing the right house and and creating the right approach for them. They're weighing up the options and they're getting informed before they make the decision to head down a specific path. This ultimately can save you a lot of time, money and drama uh, of getting attached to a particular floor plan design only to discover just how challenging and expensive it might be to get it approved and built. So make sure you do the early work, okay? Don't operate on assumptions, get informed and educated and set yourself up for success overall. I really do hope that this has been helpful for you. And whilst I know it might have been a bit dry to listen to, you know, as any run through on a regulatory framework and document might can be, I do hope that you can use the information here to help guide your project journey more confidently. In the next episode, I'm going to introduce you to building biologist Sarah Dakota. She's going to be sharing her knowledge on how building health actually impacts occupant health. She's got personal experience to share as well as that of homeowners that she's helped in the past. And Zara now works very closely with industry professionals in her group programs to help them learn more about designing and building healthy homes. So I'm really looking forward to sharing that conversation with you. I think you're going to find it super interesting. A few reminders before you before I finish up. So firstly, as if you'd like to get a transcript of this episode, and I think it might be super helpful for you, you can download that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 286. And I've got loads of links there for you to check things out as well. And if you're a like-minded industry professional that helps homeowners renovate or build their homes and you'd like to work with the Undercover Architect community members, please check out the UA Army. It's free to join and you can find it by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash army and of course if you'd like more structured help and guidance and to feel more confident and in control as you learn the steps from start to finish of your project journey and how to create a great home that you love living in then home method is definitely the place for you it's my flagship online program and in it you'll join an amazing community of super informed uh, homeowners who are on a similar journey to you and you'll also get to access my personalized support and guidance for your project as well you can find out more about Home Method by heading to homemethod.com.au or to the Undercover Architect website and see it on the menu. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Just a reminder, all content on this podcast is provided by Undercover Architect for reference purposes and as general guidance. It does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. You should seek independent verification or advice before relying on this content in any circumstances, including but not limited to circumstances where loss and damage may result. The views and opinions of any guests on the podcast are solely their own and may not reflect the views of Undercover Architect. Undercover Architect endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or has become inaccurate over time. Thank you.